Hi there, and welcome to Enterprise Software Innovators, a show where top technology executives share how they innovate at scale. In each episode, enterprise leaders share how they're driving digital transformation and what they've learned along the way. I'm Evan Reiser, the CEO and founder of Abnormal Security. And I'm Sam Motamity, a general partner at Greylock Partners. Today on the show, we're bringing you a conversation with Carter Bussey, CIO of Workado. Workado is a leading enterprise automation tool, enabling businesses to optimize workflows and integrate their applications in a no-code environment. In this conversation, Carter shares surprising ways that Workado automates business processes, insights into the future of AI, and the best practices for IT teams to collaborate with business partners. Carter, thanks for joining us today. Could you start by giving our audience a little bit of background on Workado and your role there as CIO? Yes, yeah, sure. So Workado, and it's not Workato, which we get a lot. It's Workado, and it stands for Work Automation. It's an integration-led automation company. I came here after being a customer and after being a two-time buyer of one of our competitors. I saw the power of this platform. When I found this role was open, I jumped for the opportunity. So this role, yes, I'm the CIO. I run what we call the business technology team here. So every all employee-facing technology from laptops to the email to the all the great automation we run in Workato internally and all the enterprise apps, security and security operations underneath my purview. I have another part of my role here is really being evangelizing what we do internally here and evangelizing the automation integration space, which is actually really fun for me because after 30 years running IT, mainly in the Bay Area, mainly for enterprise software companies, it's actually kind of fun to tell stories of my career and the stories of how we use Workato internally. So it's actually a really fun job. I really like it. So Carter, there's two reasons why I was really excited to chat with you. One is because of the work you do today, right? Which in some ways kind of transforming how businesses use technology. But also because you've had a pretty long and storied career and you've seen multiple generations of technology. One of the themes that we talk about all the time, obviously on the show, is digital transformation. Love to hear what that kind of means to you. I know there's like a buzzwordy version, but this feel like there's something real about how businesses are transforming how they use technology today. Yeah, thank you. I've landed at some good companies and I've seen some great transformations. I've been at some great software companies. But what I think digital transformation, I think of a story. And it was the first time I actually used that word, those two words together. And I was at 8 by 8 about nine years ago. And it's a UCAS company in the, think of phones and, and call centers in the cloud. They were looking to do a digital transformation there. I'm like, okay, let's do this. What it really meant was pivoting from client server, people soft architecture to best of breed cloud solutions. And it was driven by a business decision to really digitize the business and to make it easier for customers to sign up, making it lower cost for support. And so we led this big digital transformation, quote unquote, at eight by eight. And I feel like all my peers in the Valley were doing the same thing. We were all moving to the same platforms the same cloud solutions, the same enterprise platforms. That was like kind of one digital transformation. And and I was thinking through before this podcast, I'm like, I feel like we're almost like in a second wave of digital transformation now. We did that digital transformation before COVID. We had COVID. Now we're on this like hyped up AI automation, Web 3.0. So it's like a second wave of digital transformations that we're all in this big race to figure out the second way of digital transformation. So that's kind of exciting because I feel like we've all have this foundational architecture, but now we got to figure out how to stitch it all together with some of these new tools coming up that are they're catching the press. And I'm sure that you're hearing a lot of your conversations as well. Yeah. And actually one of those tools is Workato, right? Like Workato very much is at the forefront of innovation and helping companies automate many previously manual and distributed processes. And so 
your customers, I think, are using you to drive their digital transformation goals. Maybe talk a little bit about that. And I'd be curious as to what a few of the most interesting use cases that you see customers using Workado to transform their businesses are. Yes, we really feel and our customers feel, and that's why I've actually joined this company two years ago, is I really feel like the integration automation space is the hub, is the start of your digital transformation. It's really how you're trying to scale the business and really increase velocity. Some of those great use cases, some internally I love to talk about, is we completely automate the entire onboarding process. There is no IT involvement at all from the time the candidate signs that offer letter to getting a laptop. It is completely automated. We don't even touch laptops. That's all automated process that we talk about quite a bit. We're in the process of automating our entire order to cash process. There's no touching orders. There's no touching invoices. Those are kind of common business processes that people are looking to us and we're doing that a lot internally. We talk a lot about data-triggered automation. We have all this data. Everyone, all these companies have all this data. So I have a lot of discussions with CIOs about data-triggered automation. And some things I like to talk about, some use cases are we have Gong internally to record all of our phone calls. And there's certain words you can actually have Gong flag. You can actually, with their API, you can have it say one of our competitors. We can take that competitor word from a conversation and then stuff it into Salesforce for competitive analysis automatically. And we also do is take that data-triggered automation and then send the rep who's on that phone call a battle card, a knowledge-based battle card, and how to talk against that competitor in the, in the future. So we're doing some training, data-triggered automation. We're taking data and putting it into Salesforce to be actionable. We're getting a lot, all the chat GPT conversations and AI chatbots. Wow, there's some fun things. We're doing a lot of fun things in here too is with using AI with Workado. If you're an employee, you want an app, a new app, you just tell our chatbot and we take the automation from there and then we automate the approval at your, at your manager through Slack and then we provision the application. So everything's automated from AI to automation. The, the world with AI and automation is fascinating for me and our company and just some amazing use cases are starting to come around that every day I hear new ones that are blowing my mind. Those are some great examples. And you have two interesting vantage points here. One is inside Workado and your responsibility for employees, how you drive process automation, process re-engineering, efficiency, leveraging, whether it's Workado or AI and automation tools. And then the second is you see how Workado's customers drive those changes inside their organization. If you think about some of, whether it's internal or on the customer side, some of the projects around automation and transformation that have been successful versus not, what are the characteristics of the ones that are successful? Oh, wow. That's an easy answer for me. It's when the business is actually involved and takes leadership and ownership of it. Those are the ones that are really successful when it's not just IT driving it, but when business actually helps drive it and actually is part of the solution, is actually helping build the solution. And IT is more of the architecture and the, the governance, like the guardrails. But when business leads it and actually is part of the solution and part of the building of this internal transformation, that's when it's most successful. There's dual buy-in. I can't tell you how many projects I've been on where Business wants to do something, they throw it over the fence to IT, and IT delivers just like they wanted it, and it's like, it fails, because we weren't doing it together. So it's business involvement. Yeah, I'm sure like there are a number of people listening right now nodding their heads, other IT and technology leaders at other companies. Like In your learnings as a technology leader, how have you learned to work with the business side to drive that outcome, and what advice would you share with emerging IT leaders who might be listening and wrestling with this issue? Yeah, let me start with another with a story. About I was at Mobile Iron in like 2011, 2012, 
And I was that kind of command and control centralized IT leader. And we had a new sales ops person come in and she brought in all her lieutenants and she said, hey, I need access to Salesforce. I have an access to Salesforce. I'm like, no, no way. You can't have it. And it escalated an email and escalated to a shouting, literally a shouting conversation, a shouting match in the office. Gophers were coming up over the cube walls. It didn't look good for me. It didn't look good for me, my team. I was the IT leader saying no. And after the dust settled, I actually won the conversation. The CFO had to step in and say, no, we're not giving sales ops access. So dust settled about a couple of weeks later. I'm like, hey, why did you need access? She's like, Carter, you're not moving fast enough. We can help. We can help you doing the low-hanging fruit. You work on these bigger projects, the new billing system, the new CPQs, but give us some access so we can help. You're not moving fast enough. I'm like, oh, okay. And ever since that conversation, that battle I had with her, I've learned that, and especially nowadays with the young generation coming out of school, they want to own the, the technology. They want to be involved. They want to help IT. And that's where I'm much more open to that. But it's really up to the IT leaders and us to give them the architecture and to give them the guardrails and give them the governance and all that fun stuff so they can innovate. And we can put it into production as well. But anyway, it's from that story. And I've switched in the last eight to 10 years to really working with the business and giving the business the technology they need to do their own jobs. So this dynamic between how kind of IT works with the business, right? I'm not really clear like what the right balance is. And it's challenging because in some ways you want the functional parts of the business to fully own their stuff because they need to find like the process that we want to automate. They're dealing with the problems, the optimization, they're learning. They got to go do that. At the same time, right? You don't want your sales executives being Salesforce data architects. So you want actually some of the responsibility to be over in IT, but you push too far in that direction, then that team can get a little disconnected from the end customer result. So I guess my question for you is like, what is the right relationship or division of labor across IT organizations and business functions in order to get the best of all worlds? I don't have a black and white there. It really comes down to the department and the leader of that department. Like, so let's take, for example, marketing. Marketing, they always have tech-savvy people on that team and let them fly. Let them have freedom. Control them, but let them have complete freedom. I don't want to get in their way. HR is one of the departments paying the leader. They might want to own the tech stack. They may not want to own the tech stack. I've been in a situation where I've been at one company where different leaders came in and we did a 180. And so that's one. Now, when it comes down to like finance, they really don't have tech-savvy people, I've found. And it's really where IT kind of really more owns that technology and that platform. So it really depends on the leadership and the group. But yeah, marketing, let them fly finance is the other side. And then the other departments are kind of in the middle. And it's really partnering with those leaders about how fast they want to move. And if they want to move fast and they have the right team, you can give it to the business. And actually what we're doing, I'm coaching a lot of CIOs. It's like, if you put this like Workato in with the right framework, you can go give it to the ops team in finance or the customer support or marketing ops. You can do that safely and they'll be happier. So it's part of our jobs to kind of figure that out as we navigate to that organization. That's right. That's right. It comes out to like trade-offs and judgments. And usually the answer is like, well, it depends. It depends. But I do think some of these, I can kind of sense here in your question, Evan, that some of the foundational systems like an ERP, CRM, those systems should be in IT, the ownership should be, but allow access to those businesses to at least do some low-level configuration and product configuration. What is the right balance between what should be really centrally led versus maybe more functionally led? And maybe just to give a more concrete, more specific example there. Like what is the sales process and how do you automate that through Salesforce? Right? You want that to be very kind of sales defined or at least a process architecture perspective. However, right, if you give every functional department 
the full ability to pick their tools and build the systems, fully divine their process, you can end up with a kind of a fragmented thing where you have like four different departments with their own records of customer information in different ways. And so again, what's the right balance between you know centralized architecture and more distributed process design? And like at some points, right, you need someone to kind of make sure everything all lines up. So any wisdom or pro tips about how to strike that balance? No, I mean, you just nailed it. You say everyone, we need a, an alignment, you need the architecture. That needs to come from IT. Truly believe that. I feel like in 2021, everybody was buying all those kinds of tools and IT was just like trying to keep up. 2022, 2023, we got some a stick now and we get to consolidate and kind of say no to things because we're all trying to, it's a macroeconomic environment, trying to save some costs. So 2021, it was tough. Yes, there were six different types of systems and six different data masters. But I feel like last two years, we get to say no. And that's where I think it feels like we need to set the architecture and realize that business does need to be part of the decision, but they need the guidance and the architecture. I feel like they've wisened up too in the last two years. Just through my two years here at Ricardo, like, hey, let's get IT involved in these conversations if we're choosing a new application to monitor our professional services and to monetize it. And we're actually going at it together, where I guarantee you two years ago, they would have gone off and buy something and then thrown over the fence. So we're looking at it together. Yeah. Maybe kind of switching gears, going back to what Sam said. I think Sam had a good point where, Carter, you have a very unique view because your company is a provider of innovation, but then you use it also yourselves, right? I'd love to hear, like, are there maybe anecdotes or examples of ways that you guys are using technology to help the business or create a better customer experience and maybe ways that like even your customer people on the outside of the world might not fully appreciate. Yeah, for customer experience, we do several things there. You know, with our technology, we are taking data, we're ingesting data from our product and business applications. We're using our product, we're ingesting data into our data warehouse. We're doing some transformations. And then with that, we're giving them some really intelligent ideas on how to better use our tech stack, I guess really product-led growth, how to put it back to our pipelines, back to the product we're giving our customers ideas on how they can actually leverage our product even better. So we're actually using our technology to do that. That's number one. The whole experience of a survey, you take a survey with us inside of our app, we take that survey and all that data in the survey, we don't just have to look at it. We actually automate it based on what you say. We may actually go send you a t-shirt, all automated, if you give us a good review. But we'll also automate some other questions too, back or, just, or generate a, a phone call with an executive. Schedule automatically scheduling a phone call. So that, all that entire process from that survey is all automated, really trying to improve the customer experience. An example, like, kind of a simple one, but kind of one that hit home. For me, I was talking to the CIO of New South Wales, a group that helps farmers in New South Wales, Australia, funding. They run an emergency and they've had a lot of fires on there in the last couple of years. It's just basic automation to improve their customer experience. They built a website and they used Workado to hook it up to their payment and ERP system. And payments of farmers who needed checks after a fire and went from months to down to days. Yeah, he said, like, Ricardo, your automation actually, that's the difference between a farmer building a fence for his cattle or not. I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. And it was just, it's neat to hear those stories of where three of us are all in enterprise software, but to hear how enterprise software can actually help human lives in Australia, halfway around the world. So it kind of hit home with me. Yeah, I have similar stories where, Heard thing of the customers like, oh wow, like our software is a little more important to have a big impact in the world than I realized. It's a exciting and humbling conversation. It is. And that's what's so nice to be at a company like this where there's like this huge art of the possible. It's just kind of neat how people are using it. 
Carter, you just said the art of the possible. I love that. And I want to use that to transition to like this new wave of AI. You referenced ChatGPT earlier. And Evan and I have been thinking a lot about this. We talk about this with other guests we have on the show. I think you have a really interesting vantage point to it because these generative AI models can be a very new approach to automation in the enterprise. And I'm sure will impact how you think about the Workado product and also the types of use cases you support. Maybe talk to us about the role AI is playing today and also help us dream about the role AI is going to play around driving digital transformation over the next several years. Yeah. Wow. Isn't this kind of fun? Yeah. So how we're using internally, I brought up earlier, we're using it to embed it in our chat AI bot internally to automate all your interactions with IT and then the automation after that. So we're really making it kind of automating that genius bar type thing uh, approach or you're going to the Apple store. I'm going to automate that with our chat AI and with automation, the backends, there's no one, no human involved. That's how we're using it today, our automation. There's a lot of discussion about how we're using it in our product and where we're going to go with the product. And there's some great fun ideas there about with like the co-pilot idea that GitHub just launched with Microsoft. Those are discussions we're having too. Is like we have this connector. We have thousands of connectors with various apps. We could actually automate building of those audit, those connectors with something like ChatGPT. I want to build a connector to this piece of software. Can you build it for me with you know with work you know inside Workado and building those connectors? That's number one. And then we have what inside Workado we have, you build these automations. We call them recipes and automating that. I want to automate an order from Salesforce to NetSuite and then down to my billing system. And it can help us get, build that 80%, get that, build that recipe for us based on knowledge we have of other customers doing the same thing. Those are really exciting things that we're, that we're talking about using it internally. We're looking at another use case for us using it internally is like STR emails. How often do you guys get STR letter emails, right? Actually, you can make it much more personalized. So sending data out of your Salesforce instance, Workado, Chat, GPT. Can you write a letter? Here's the background of Evan and here's where he works for, but actually personalize a sales pitch email. I am so excited about it. A little scary, but I am so excited about it. I tell my son, he's 12, my Jack, here's the time. We got to watch Terminator. He's like, no, dad, why? He's like, this is like, we're at the precipice where this could, if something goes wrong, this could actually happen. So I'm excited about it. Excited, a little scary too. So Carter, I think the reason like all of us probably brought into technology, technology just lets civilization go do more things. It's a productivity tool. One of the reasons why low code and no code got popular because it increased the accessibility of kind of building to more and more people. I guess to what extent do you see AI and ChatGPT being you know, just kind of like the next extension of that? Well, yeah. And we had low code, no code. Like I was a Salesforce. That's a low code, no code CRM tool and allowed sales to move faster without IT. So it's nothing really new for me, but I saw Workado as being a platform to get low code, no code. That's the next level. Wow, adding chat GPT with a co-pilot type functionality with a low-code, no-code tool. It's like, wow, I'm scratching my head about my business analysts. I'm like, you know, they get up-leveled. Everybody gets up-leveled, I feel, is where I think AI with automation is going to take place. We get to actually be really true automation, true knowledge workers and not a lot of tasks. It's going to be fun. The way business will move now is so fast. So Carter, when you think about kind of leading your team and trying to drive them to innovate, like, are there kind of practices or ritual traditions that you encourage people to, like, you guys have been very successful at all the things that you said you're doing. There's something there that's helped you get really advanced for a relatively small company. So I guess, why is that? Yeah, that's a good topic. And it's one that I actually, they have me speaking about quite a bit. And we talk about, is it's a, we call it the automation mindset. It's actually a big deal. It's such a big deal. We're actually, we're writing a book about it. It's coming out this year. And I got this mindset when I started here. 
I thought I had it when I got here, but I, I didn't. And I realized that from my team, my team is all in the days of 30. And they've automated most of these processes I talked to you about. But they have this automation mindset where they, they're not afraid of business challenges. They understand they get the business problem the business is trying to solve. They don't think about like the manual steps to get them there. They think about what data is needed to get to this end result. And they work with the business, literally in our low-code, no-code tool to actually develop that process. A kind of if-then-else statement of getting the data to where they need it. And it's an iterative process with the business, slowly iterating on it. We start small. I talked about some, we have the whole onboarding process automated. Well, that was very iterative. We started with automating some emails. But it's iterative working with the business and having that automation and that kind of the art of the possible mindset that we talk about and kind of grasping and embracing that with our technology. Embracing this automation mindset with the business and with the younger generation who think about technology first. They don't think about the process. And think about like what data is needed to get to, to a place you need to be. So, Car, at the end, we like to do a bit of a lightning round. So, we're going to maybe go to like five or six questions, look over like kind of the one tweet response, just so we can kind of get some you know, quicker hits in here. Sam, do you want to maybe go first? Yeah. Carter, you've worked on a number of great companies and IT leadership roles. How do you define or what does success look like for a CIO? You are seen as a strategic leader and brought into business discussions. If you had a colleague or a friend, I was kind of stepping into the CIO role for the first time. What would be kind of your advice to them about maybe any of traps to avoid or things to be on the lookout for? I just had this conversation with a mentee of mine. Don't focus on the infrastructure. Focus on the business conversations. That's good advice. And maybe staying on the theme of advice, what part of a CIO's responsibility do you think is most commonly underestimated in its importance? The glue we provide across the entire organization. But I feel like we are the people who know the business processes, the conversations that happen across the business that no one realizes. So Carter, at the risk of exposing myself as a huge nerd, I'm like a big science fiction fan. And I'm drawn to sci-fi because there's some innovation. There's this imagining what's possible and kind of like suspending disbelief for a second and kind of like, well, why not? Why couldn't we get there? You talked about this idea a little bit, like how do you activate that in your team? How do you get people to shut down the false constraints, right? And then really think about how to innovate. Yeah, it's really embracing this kind of growth mindset. And how do you embrace, like when you hit a challenge, how do you pivot from that? And how do you not really not be afraid to pivot? And how do you not be afraid to experiment and encourage that and embrace that? And that's what we do a lot on our team, on the BT team here, but also with the business. Let's go figure this out together. We may fail and it's okay to fail, but we'll figure out. And with this growth mindset, we'll pivot and we'll change. I feel like that really comes from our top down. Don't be afraid to fail and we'll recover because we'll, just, we'll be innovating faster if we're okay to fail and, and keep going. That's a nice note to end on. Well, Carter, thanks so much for spending time. Great to chat with you and looking forward to talking again soon. Yes, Evan, Sam, thank you. I did feel like I was at a restaurant having a conversation. We did too. Thanks for joining us, Carter. That was Carter Bussey, CIO of Workado. Thanks for listening to the Enterprise Software Innovators Podcast. I'm Sam Mutamidi, a general partner at Greylock Partners. And I'm Evan Reiser, the CEO and founder of Abnormal Security. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find more great lessons from technology leaders and other enterprise software experts at enterprisesoftware.blog. This show is produced by Luke Reiser and Josh Meir. See you next time.